to Country Music Matters. I'm your host, Michael Monroe Goodman. And uh, today we got uh, Mr. Elijah Ocean with us, and we're drinking lots of coffee and uh, talking about talking about country music. And uh, we were just talking about radio. We were just talking about uh, the whole. Uh, it's a good point. Like you were saying, like how country radio is not even recognizable anymore. It's like. Yeah. When you're listening, it's like you get like a rap song, and you get like a heavy metal song, and you get like a techno sound song. It's like, what, what is this station? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Every time I flip it on, I, I can't really understand um, what's going on, really. But uh, yeah, I know through the ages, like country music has always borrowed from mm -hmm. what's popular, you know. And there was like a country disco thing going on in the '70s, a little bit. Right, yeah, I remember uh, that a little bit. It's kind of like a, well, kind of like a, the Bellamy Brothers had like a little bit of a little bit of that disco kind of thing. Yeah, like reggae Dolly cowboy and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah exactly. A little bit of like they had the, the jump, jumping like, like hippie train kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so I mean, I, I get that, but I think like nowadays genre is just like so up in the air. It's like it's it's hard to classify stuff nowadays, and especially on country radio. It, I mean, I wouldn't really classify a lot of that stuff as country music anyway. But, no, I mean, as so much of it that's on country radio would not be considered country at all. I mean, like, people like what they want to like, but, like, it's just, like, there's, like, no remnants of, of left to it of country music. There's, like, tidbits of some stuff, some artists, then a lot of it's just, like, you, you can tell that, like, the people doing it uh, don't come, didn't love country music at all. Or, or just you know, or or, or or you know, or their defense, the the labels and nationals saying, hey, we gotta like, we gotta make crossover stuff, and we gotta like, we gotta be appeal to the young kids, and they like beat machines and and drum beats, you know, or uh, rap beats, or whatever, you know, you gotta do that kind of stuff. Yeah, I think they don't really have any clue what's going on, so I think they're just trying to throw stuff up against the wall, and see what's. They're next. trying to, they're trying to, like I said, they're trying to hang on to that mid '90s. Boom money. They're trying to hang on to that Garth money. They want to make the same money they made in the '90s with uh, with the Garth explosion. And they're like, it's like, like, can we just still keep making that kind of money? It's like, no, you can't, because it's just like, it's a, it's a thing. It happened. It came and went. And and plus two, just the music industry has changed drastically. It's like you, you, it's not that much money in the industry. Well, maybe there is, but it's it it's in different forms now. CDs aren't moving Instead quite of quick. being album sales, it's more expensive concerts or licensing or uh, stream or better uh, or, or worse deals for the artist, better percentage deals for the labels yeah. than what it used to be. So it's like really hard for a... That's what a lot of people don't realize. Like if there, if there are other uh, aspiring country or any kind of country or whatever artists out there that want to like young people and they want to make it big or they want to have you know it's like the idea of a record label anymore is not what it used to be it used to be you get a record label you get signed a record label they'd invest a lot of money in you and develop you and back then they would give you two or three albums or three or four albums to find your sounds they believed yeah. in you you know like Springsteen like Springsteen did not come out of the gate swinging. Like it took him a little while for them, but they like stuck with him because they knew he had potential. And then he boom, he found his he found his arc and you know became the boss. But like a lot of <laughs> but a lot of artists, 
with the labels, they used to do that. They used to cultivate someone, but they can't afford to do that now because there's such a, uh, such a, um, what do you say? There's such a low amount of, of, uh, of waste that they can produce. They can't just like spend a hundred, two hundred thousand dollars on some album that won't go nowhere and be like, oh, you know, we'll make it up on the next album. It's like there's, there's just not there. There's not much, that much slush in the industry. Yeah. Now they kind of let, <clears throat> let artists develop themselves. Um, I think, and then just kind of handpick, you know, whoever yeah. gets, gets the furthest, for instance, like somebody like Sturgill Simpson, like he, right. Uh, up until Metamodern Sounds, he was putting out records mm-hmm. on a small level. Right. And then that one kind of blew up and Atlantic Records came right. along, you know, and now he's a major label now artist. He's, yeah, because he like, because he, he, he developed a brand that a label could say, hey, this brand's already worth money, yeah. so we can invest more and take it a little bit further than what it's been. We can get it the mainstream credit, we can get it the Grammy notice, notific- you know, we can get, uh, get it noticed for awards, stuff like that. And I think that's what, uh, that I think that's where... Kind of where the industry's going, just out of necessity, because labels just can't afford to waste that much money on yeah. artists that may or may not develop into what they want, or they also just have the the voice and the American Idol thing like that. So they just like they sign on all these TV contestants and uh, hope that maybe one out of two or three hundred of them is the next Carrie Underwood. And you know, and it's like the rest of them are. It's like no big deal. We didn't lose any money. We still got the TV ratings or whatever. And uh, you know, they're gonna they're gonna grab them, you know, while they're while they can lock them into an exclusivity contract. And if for some reason some voice or American Idol person like takes off with the general public, then they've already got them. They've already got locked down. They can you know monopolize on that. But if if that person's just a passing fad and they're just, you know, just people just kind of really know who they are while the TV show's on and once the TV show's kind of gone, people forget, then it's like, and the label's like, ah, oh, you know, it's like, ah, oh, we don't need that artist no more because they're not uh, a commodity. Yeah, I think, yeah, I think you're totally right. That's, yeah. they kind of put an umbrella over, over a big group of artists and then whoever pops up. Right. It's, it, yeah, I mean, and I mean, business-wise, it makes all the sense in the world to do that. Um, Artistic wise, though, I'm not sure if if it always um, no. It you know it, it gets the person who maybe would just sell the most, which is yes, that's a great business model. But right, it's I think um, it takes like the right industry people to like find artists that are like you know real true artists, right, and that will have like that longevity in a career and like see it in somebody mm-hmm. at a young age and got something to say. And that's the thing too. It's like. Uh, you know, if you've seen that uh, movie *Stars Born*, I really liked the little tidbit they put in there. You know, with like Bradley Cooper saying like he didn't have anything to say. You know, they kind of kind of stated like what an artist is. Because a lot of people can sing, a lot of people can sing, a lot of people can play guitar, some people can songwrite, but uh, it's only a select few that have something to say. Mm. You know, uh, you know, like you know, like Springsteen had something to say. Merle Haggard had something to say. You know, sure did. Uh, Waylon Jennings, Willie. Chris Christopherson, those guys had something to say. Johnny Cash, they had something to say that no one had ever said before, and they said it in their own way, and that's what people uh, connect to, and it's like that's what you should. That's what people need. That's what 
music people need in music. Uh, and I think maybe, sadly, like, I think there's just like not that many uh, um, of the uh, gate or the, the key holders right. out there that genuinely care about. It. You know, you think back. You know, you think back in in the past, you had like you had the Sam Phillips and you had the the Wexlers and you had the, you know, you had all these guys who worked at Atlantic, worked at MCA, you know, the Chet Atkins and you like and you know you had these people that were the spearheads of a label, but they like, but they they understood the the importance of the art of music, so that's why they were genuinely looking for artists that that had something to say, that had something that. American people want, and I think now most pe- most people running labels, they're just like they're just business minded. It's just like bottom line, like what is you know just what what how can we make money, and and they're they're all thinking about it. How do we make money today? Yeah. Instead of like how do we build something that has a shelf life, you know, tomorrow, you know, tomorrow. Which is funny. They would choose the music business then if that's all they really Right. You would think like if, if you want to yeah, do something that's a little bit uh, more uh, foolproof commodity. Yeah. Pyramid then, scheme or something. Then, then the music industry. Yeah. So I guess I that's kind of what it boils down to is just not that many uh, or not as many passionate gatekeepers uh, in, the, in the music industry that are passionately trying to find the next... Johnny Cash or the next Merle Haggard or yeah. stuff like that, you know. So it's like, so like I said, for people who are aspiring musicians, don't rely on labels to make you a star. Like, but that's the beauty of what we do have nowadays. We have the internet, we have Spotify, we have iTunes, you have YouTube, and it's like if you've got music, if you've got a, your phone, like we're doing here, you know, just making a, a, a easy podcast. If you've got a phone, you can record your song. If you've got a laptop, you can record an album, for crying out loud. If you, with a little bit of tinkering around on YouTube and figuring out how to record and mix and all that stuff, you can pretty much create your own music and upload it to Spotify in 10 minutes and everyone around the world can listen to music immediately. So it's really more of, I think, uh, the, the, the artists are going to need to, and they're already doing it, people like Sturgill, uh, who was, you know, building his own fan base, like Cody Jinks, too, who's someone, you know, a Texas guy who was not on a major label, who was really building his fan base, and now he's a bigger name, and, you know, he's going to get uh, bigger labels or whatever to invest in him. Mm-hmm. But it's like, you got to, like, take charge of, of your art form nowadays and put it out there yourself and just just hustle, whatever, you know. Which I think is great. I, I really enjoy being an independent artist. Like, yeah. Uh, it's just maybe it just fits with my personality or something yeah you know? I'm like not um, I've tried to work with people before and I just don't I, I always end up disagreeing with like the, really? the way that they're trying to like guide me and like you know maybe sometimes they do have my best interests in mind um, right. maybe they were they were right but I just feel like I always have to kind of like discover that for myself right or stay true to what yeah yeah I'm, so yeah it's like I can, um, I can kind of do that in this day and age, you know? Right. I mean, this beauty of what you can do, you don't have to have a label nowadays. You can put out an album and people can buy it all over the world on your, without having any representation or whatever. Now, you can't get on mainstream radio, but like we were talking, like that, I feel like that's a dying 
thing as well. You know, the, you know, because the streaming, the streaming things are taking over now. And I think that's going to be the future. Is streaming. Hopefully, they put a monetary thing in there where artists can get paid a little bit better uh, for it. It's never going to be the money that you'd make if you're on mainstream, you know, or on actual FM radio or whatever. It's not going to be that many cents per play. But if they can at least make it better than what it is now, uh, you know, for streaming artists, that's going to be the future of it. Um, I'm kind of, the, I'm I'm of the mind. If I I've for the longest time I've said I would give anything to find my own Colonel Parker because like you know like <laughs> Colonel Parker took half of everything Elvis made yeah. and I'm like you know what if someone could hustle and open the doors for me the way he did I'd gladly give him half as long as. Uh, he doesn't touch the creative part. Like if I can still sure. be in creative control and know you know, know what what I want to do with my music, I would love for someone else to be like the car salesman, uh, a businessman, or whatever. But like, um, but that's that's kind of hard to have nowadays, unless you become a big enough brand where someone wants to step in and do that. But like I said, it's like you got to like be your own promotions guy your own marketing guy your own producer your own social media everything you got to be you got to be everything which uh which can be exhausting to do all that and then also like turn that off and like be an artist yeah but it, but at least you do have that freedom of like you don't have to let no one tarnish your vision because you can be in control of everything yeah, I always, I've always done everything myself, like from like the graphic design to the web design to right. like you know writing the songs and singing and booking and and everything, um, and like I always just do it to the best of my ability, you know, and like right. sometimes it works okay, sometimes it doesn't work, and like right, it's fine. I you know I can still uh, yeah have the creative control that I I want, and mm-hmm. I think it's just my personality. Yeah, well, it, it, it suits you. Yeah, if you can be, if you can do it on your own, that's great. Uh, yeah. So we were talking. Um, of course, you just got. Let's talk a little bit about your new single. Your, your Baker. The what's the the song? Bring back that Bakersfield. Bring back, sound. back that Bakersfield sound, which is a song and just a damn good slogan. Uh, let's <laughs> let's that's a damn good revolutionary thing. Let's bring back that Bakersfield sound. It's a good sound. It's right up the road. Why not? We just. <laughs> We bring it back there and in LA and just and do it. Let's yeah. bring that back. Yeah. So that song's been doing well for you. It's been doing well. Yeah. Played um, yeah. It got played on uh, a bunch of different radio stations. Nice. Locally here on Go Country 105, um, which is cool. And uh, uh, somebody in Boston played it, and somebody in uh, New Orleans played it. Nice. It's been getting some, some radio play, which is cool, and uh, some write-ups and some spins. So that's great. Yeah, um, that was a really fun song to make. It, it's I wrote that song like five years ago. Really? It's like an older song. Were you just kind of sitting on it for a while, and just recently like, hey, record that? Yeah, kind of. And like, well, actually, so we I recorded a version of it back then, mm-hmm. and um, I never released it, and then recently like this fall i i rediscovered it and i was like oh this is pretty cool like i like this recording um but there were some things i wanted to change about it so i basically just stripped it back down to just the drums gotcha i just kept the drums and then i redid everything else oh okay so you used the original track you'd had before and just redubbed it 
I yeah. redid all the instruments. I, and I played everything on it except for the drums, bass, guitars. Oh, you, you're vocals. playing it? Oh, well. I'm going to have to uh, <laughs> listen to it with new ears now, knowing that you're playing all yeah. the instruments on there. That's I did cool. it in my, in my living room. Um, yeah. And then I, like, I rewrote some of the lyrics and, like, changed the key and stuff a little bit. And, uh, yeah, the only thing I did was keep the drums. And then I mixed it and mastered it myself in my living room. Nice. Put it up on Spotify myself and designed the cover myself. My uh, wife took the photo. Uh, and then I did the like the PR stuff myself too, which was it felt good to not have to like hire somebody and go out of pocket for like something that I know is not really gonna like make a ton of money just getting played on right. Spotify. Well that's good that you uh were able to do the PR part of that. And it was just um if you're doing your own PR is it just just uh calling media outlets or calling bloggers or whatever and just, just pitching to them, just kind of yeah. just hitting them up and seeing what sticks? Yeah, well, I've made a lot of contacts over the years in different places, so I just basically it did it very informally, just be like, hey, man, like remember me? Like, I haven't put out a song in a year, and I know you like wrote about the last one. Thank you. Uh, yeah. Just wanted to send you this new song I'm putting out. You know, like... Nice. And, um... I got some good responses. That's yeah. I've, I've seen some of the write-ups that you posted. Seems like that's getting good responses. That's good. Yeah. And so you're gonna uh, you're going to um, is that that's a single? Are you gonna turn that into be part of an album that you're working on currently? Or I don't think so. No. Um, yeah. I have. Uh, there is an album in the works, um, mm-hmm. and it has like a pretty similar vibe to that. But I have enough so- other songs that are gonna be on the album, and we're like. I'm recording that in a proper studio. Gotcha. And, um, yeah, I'm going back in in May for another day uh, with a friend of mine, Brian Whelan. He's he's producing. Yeah, yeah, I've heard that guy. for me. Yeah, he's a good nice. dude. Yeah, I've heard a lot of good things about him. Yeah, yeah, he's really talented. He's a great uh, guitar player and singer and keyboardist and stuff. So we've been working together for about a year now. Like I, I just go over, started out by going over to his house and just kind of sitting in his kitchen and like playing in my new songs and he would you know kind of guide me kind of being like the A&R guy we were talking about you know what I mean like kind of helping me develop right. uh, a little bit you know not really not co-writing but being like oh this this song is great I think it needs a different bridge or like gotcha this song isn't worth it <laughs> throw this one away right it was funny like a lot of the times I would like find myself just just disagreeing with it, his opinions off the bat, you know what I mean? And then I would come home and maybe sit on it for a couple of days and then I'd be like, no, he's totally right. And yeah. it would happen every time. So I started to trust him after a while. That's, that's, uh, that's pretty, uh, yeah, that's, that's uh, pretty cool that you were able to, uh, see that after, I mean, cause it was an artist. You don't want to, you don't, you don't, you, you got your baby, your new songs and was like, that's yeah. no good. And you're like, how dare you tell me my baby's ugly? How yeah. dare you? How dare you say it? But then you get home and you look in the crib and you go, damn, my baby's ugly. Uh, maybe uh, yeah. we should have another one. Well, yeah, it's cool because with a song, like, you know, you can just be like, oh, I can take this part. And you don't have to be as so precious with it. You know what I mean? Like, and I, I kind of learned that. Like, I, everything I write, I'm just like, I could throw this away. You know, I don't care. I just try not to, like, get too attached to anything. And that way, it always like lands on what's ever best, right? You know. Yeah, we were talking about that um, on the last uh, on the podcast with uh, Chad Watson. We we're talking about how like a song, 
he said somebody said something a song is great songs aren't written they're rewritten which okay. is which is so true uh, because and I mean I was when I was younger I was very bullheaded where I would write something and whatever I wrote it first like no that's it it's mm-hmm. done even though somebody would like say something oh about this I'm like no you know I'd like be very bullheaded about it and uh, luckily with time I like to realize like no you know with, with some uh, learning uh, from other people I started like no you know songs may not be finished you know or, like, or if there's a way to improve on uh, do that you know so you know sometimes I'll, I'll write a song and 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 finish it and then like try it out with people and like and go mm, or, or I'll just like, try it out just to be hearing it you know uh, in front of people and then just notice like mm, this you know like hearing I'm like oh there's something missing here or it needs to get to the bridge quicker it needs to or the, the you know the, uh, the verse too you know there's too many verses or there's not enough verses or uh, or this turnaround needs to be quicker because we're losing momentum. You get back. So that's the yeah. I think it is very important to be able to uh, know that songs uh, can be molded, improved. You know, and by doing that, you yeah. get get where you want them to go. Yeah, which is like the spot that I'm trying to get them to is trying to make them sound like I didn't overthink them or something. Right. You know what I mean, like. Trying to make it sound like I just wrote it in in five minutes and it was the first thing, right? But really, it could take years or like took, yeah, many revisions. But you can always go back to that's the thing. You don't have to keep your changes. No, you can always go back to it. Um, that's the thing I had uh, a few months ago. I took um, I, I made myself do like a songwriting challenge. I want to make myself write a song every day. I was gonna do it for thirty days. I think I lasted like thirteen. Yeah. Um, but uh, but at least I got that many. But um, I like pulled out books like legal pads that I had when I was like 16 and I found like two or three songs there that I had written lyrics to and maybe I could somewhat remember the melody I had uh, or some of them I couldn't. But I was like, I was like, oh, I was like, there's something here. Like it need, and, and with like, you know, a more mature mind, I was like, oh, well, this needs to be tweaked here like that. But then I did it and I like wrote a couple songs out of writings that I had from when I was like 15, 16 years old. And I like just revised them now and like, oh, and I was like, and now I love them. And I'm like, right. oh, I'm so glad I picked that uh, back up, which is another lesson of like, you, you can use everything. Nothing can go to waste. Mm-hmm. You know, whatever you got, like a song idea from 10, 15 years ago that you never figured out how to finish. One day you'll figure out how to do it. I've had that way. I've had songs before where I've like had the, had the chorus, uh, and didn't have a clue how to set it up mm-hmm. in a verse, and then someone said something, and I went, "Oh, that's the story." And then I was like, "Oh, now I know uh, how to write the rest of the song." Yeah, it just clicks. Yeah, you just like it's like when you get those little gifts of songs. Uh, luckily, they don't have to go nowhere. You just hang on to them until you. What's that? The the Shell Silverstein uh, thing with the uh, uh, what's the what's that thing? Uh, uh, what the book he has that has like the circle with the missing piece and it rolls, you know. Uh, I think I know which one you're talking about. Yeah, I had the sidewalk never ends. That's a great the end of the side, where the sidewalk ends. Uh, growing right. up, and then yeah, I remember another book that we had, too. Um, I can't remember. Is it all the places you'll go or some? But there's the one you know. You know what I'm talking about like yeah, like a songs like that. You could have that wheel that's missing a little piece, but you just keep going along. One day you're gonna stumble across it and you're like ah. 
that was the piece I needed yeah. for this song or whatever. So it's always important uh, to do that for any other aspiring songwriters. Now, how did you, where'd you grow up? I grew up in Maine. Maine. Great state of Maine. The great state of Maine. Uh, lobsters, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that's right. all they have. Go ahead, that's it. That's it. Like everyone just, everyone, you have pet lobsters. Uh, yep. That's all, all your mascots eat. are lobsters oh, every yeah. school, right? Yeah. kind of thing. Sometimes there's blueberries in the summer and yeah. uh, potatoes up north. All right. There you go. Yeah. I've never been to Maine. I've been as far north. I've been, I think, uh, I think Vermont, or not Vermont, um, like Massachusetts, furthest uh-huh. I've ever been. I need to get up to Maine. Yeah, man. It's great. It's a beautiful state. Are there any other, you would know this more than me, are there any other famous country music uh, besides stars? Besides me? From, besides you. <laughs> I was going to say, if there's not, you could be the guy. You could be... Uh, Dick Curlis is from Maine. Okay, Dick Curlis, all right. In fact, his grandson is an acquaintance of mine. He lives, he lives near Portland now, and he's a drummer. Okay, up there. nice. Dick Curlis. Um, there's some other... Uh, uh, was Clarence White from Maine? I would not know. I guess he's, Could be. he's not really a um, singing star, per se. But, um, but he's still a legend. Still, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I think uh, Dick Curlis is the only one I can think of right okay. now. Well, cool. you can be the you could be the biggest one. Like, we'll make, yeah, you be you be take off, and you'll be the main's claim to fame. The first one without an eye patch. There you go. <laughs> first first one. <without> a, <laughs> well, hopefully, let's hope nothing happens. No so freak far. accidents happen. Changing guitar strings and you lose an eye or nothing like that. Let's, yep. let's not hope nothing like that happens. All right, cool. So you grew up in Maine, and what um, who what what made what who turned you on to country music? Well, growing up, we didn't listen to a lot of country music um, yeah. at the house. You know, it was a lot of classic rock and stuff like that. Uh, we did listen to a lot of like Willie Nelson, and my dad had a great record collection, which I, I took at a young age. And um, yeah, there's a lot of like Willie and Waylon in there. And um, one of my favorite records, actually, that I discovered was in my dad's collection. It's uh, Me and McDill by Bobby Bear from 1977, and nice. Bobby Bear just sang all. Bob McDill's songs and uh, it's probably one of the greatest country records of all time but yeah there was some Hank Williams in there um, you know we grew up in the country I my room is in the barn that's where I learned mm-hmm. how to play guitar in the barn and uh, nice there's a song in that oh. yeah there's a few <laughs> <laughs> um, I I started like liking the country music that was on the radio in the 90s when I was in high school and right it wasn't cool, you know. There, it was like the grunge scene was going on, right. and um, a lot of my friends were into classic rock and grunge and stuff like that. And I remember the answer for like the proper answer for what kind of music do you like was pretty much anything, you know, except for country. Like country was the music that you weren't supposed to like. I hear so many people say that all yeah. the time. It's like I like everything except country, and then yeah. And and then they go, oh, I love Dolly Parton. They're like, what? What yeah. the hell are you talking about? You just said you yeah. don't like country, or oh, I love the Dixie Chicks, or I loved, like, oh yeah, I like Johnny Cash. And it's like you just said you hated country, yeah. And then you just <laughs> name like three big country names there. That's the thing. It's such a giant um, genre. It's like you're, it's like <clears throat> saying you don't like rock and roll. You know what I mean? There's yeah. like there's somebody in there that my grandmother likes that's rock and roll. There's right. like you know what I mean? Yeah. It's not about I, I leaning today I lean towards just listening to country most of the time and but 
I don't. I think it's more important to, to think about the artist that you like as opposed to like the genre. Right, you know? right, right. Because if if if, if you got a great artist, uh, doesn't really matter uh, if you can always fit them in a certain box. Because yeah. a great artist is always going to be evolving or growing. For but sure. I think it is that. I don't know where that came from. I guess it's a southern thing or whatever. I wonder where that stigma come from. I think it's like a stigma. People just like will say. I don't like country. I don't listen to country. Just as a way of like, uh, so people don't think they're simple or southern or stupid or something like that. Like, it's like some stigma or something, or maybe somewhere along the lines. Like you like country music, you're a racist. Like, oh, I don't like country. Maybe they're white. Oh, don't worry. Don't worry. Don't worry. I don't like country. Uh, it's okay. Maybe some stigma or whatever. Maybe maybe David Allen Coe ruined that with his uh, awful song. Uh, his uh, his uh, very. Uh, distasteful songs maybe I don't know yeah. where that stigma came from but it does seem like a stigma that a lot of people will like by default without even realizing what they're saying just say oh I like everything about country yeah well I I think as a as a teenager it was like it sounded cheesy to a lot of, of my friends or like it was considered like music for old men yeah or maybe like your parents listen to it it's like yeah. I don't want to be like my parents I don't want to be lame like them yeah because it's a lot of you know it's a lot of songs about like family values and like mm-hmm. you know like right divorce and stuff that like, might not identify with a teenager yeah I don't know that a 13 year old can really really get into D-I-O-R-C-E <laughs> I can't even spell it D-I-V-O-R-C-E I don't know the kid's like oh man this song speaks to me yeah like you know I hope a 13 year old well if you're from Parts of Kentucky that I've uh, been from, it, you oh, could you could definitely know what divorce is like as a teenager. Um, sure, but uh, or a child rearing, but um, but I think most yeah most teenagers uh, maybe, maybe that that be some of the disconnect that, uh, uh, that that young people can't not say they can't but maybe not connect with country because uh, as a tradition country's been a lot more about like life and and you really you know and and like tragedy or Mm -hmm. just uh life events things that happen like love love lost marriages um you know pain strife or whatever like that so maybe that's not something uh the teenagers typically gonna connect with or want to connect with so maybe that that has something to do with it like that maybe yeah it might not be like sound exciting Mm -hmm. enough to them or something like that um or dangerous enough, you know, but right. I mean, I think there, a lot of great country music is pretty like dangerous sounding. Yeah. You know? Like really good stuff. Yeah. yeah. Like, I mean, yeah. Like how, and how do you, yeah, I don't know how like, like that's the thing about, um, like really good rock and roll and really good country. It's like got that rebellious, like uh, thread to it, you know, where it's just kind of like, it's either like rebelling against the man, whoever that is, and um, or it's like uh, rebelling against life, or you know the tragedy of life, like you know, like, like the blues singers or country singers could sing about this damn horrible hand that was given to me in life, or whatever, and mm-hmm. trying to make something beautiful out of it, or whatever, or just you know sticking it to uh, the man, or whatever, you know. Yeah, say that. a lot of crazy things happen in this life, you know, and like, I think if you can express that through uh, music, you know, it's, 
it's like very intriguing to listen to somebody do that. Yeah. You know, and other, other people connect with that and it's, yeah. it's something you can get into. Um, so you, uh, grew up, uh, grew up in Maine and then like you started, um, when did you start like singing and songwriting? Um, well, I asked for a guitar when I was about 13, an acoustic, because I got super into Bob Dylan. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I wanted to just write songs like Bob Dylan, basically, at that age. And so, yeah, my parents got me a guitar for Christmas, and I started writing songs immediately right then. And then that kind of led to, like, checking out guitar players, you know, like Jimi Hendrix, Stevie Ray Vaughan kind of mm-hmm. guitar players. And so I asked for an electric guitar and got one of those and um, started taking lessons and stuff and like got super into playing guitar, um, more like blues kind of guitar, yeah. blues jazz. And that's what I ended up studying in college for a few years, like jazz guitar. Jazz guitar? Oh yeah. man, I wish I knew. I'm still <laughs> trying to figure out jazz. I'm still just trying to figure out passing chords or I'm just still like really trying to like make myself like be able to at least like play a little bit of jazz it was very educational I think um, the biggest thing I learned was that I didn't <laughs> want to play jazz <laughs> I think I learned was uh, jazz uh, not uh, yeah really hard to do and what's the payoff like there's no chicks at the jazz show uh, you know like let's get let's just get me a, get me a flying V guitar and, and play smoke on the water and, that's basically uh, what I learned right yeah. right yeah um, I do love listening to jazz music. Um, it's great. Yeah, I I love I love jazz. I love the intricacies. It's to me it, it to me it just seems like like calculus or something. Listening because it's so complex, and the people that that have been able to play it over the years that are just phenomenal. It just blows my mind. Like Wes Montgomery, who's my favorite jazz oh, guitar rips. player. I'd give anything to play guitar like him, and and. I've always like associated like jazz being this like rocket science kind of thing, but like when you kind of know like Wes Montgomery was like a very uneducated uh, man. I think maybe he was illiterate, but like, mm. but he was a master. Like he maybe he didn't learn theory like maybe a, someone would go to school and learn jazz theory now, but he figured it out himself and he was a master of it. Even yeah. even if maybe he didn't understand the the whole. Uh, uh, rudimentary of it, he he sure played it like he understood it, you know. Yep. Um, which may you know, uh, yeah, I, I love that. I've I've always wanted to like be better at jazz, just to like improve my country guitar playing. Because I listen to like people like Brent Mason and yeah. uh, and like John Jorgensen, who are like two of my favorite guitar players, and they have that jazz side of them. So like they like can do that and make country solos sound country but like just have that little nuance that makes them sets them apart and makes it not sound like the same pentatonic you know uh, riff or whatever I guess my jazz education did help me a little bit too cause like we play a lot of western swing stuff you know we're yeah. getting more into that and like I love it when when the jazz is you know incorporated into country music it's like really fun yeah. really fun dance music and just like interesting um harmonically you know right and yeah the, definitely the western swing like bob wills sleep the wheel that kind of stuff like you definitely got to have some jazz understanding oh yeah big time to play that stuff and that's kind of that's my been approach to it is like if i could just play some bob wills tunes if i could play some guitar like ray benson i'd yeah. be i'd be ecstatic it's like 12 chords in the truth 
Yeah, right. Twelve chords of the truth. Yeah, yeah, maybe more of that. Like, yeah, it, it, it's it's a country song where you play every note. Yeah. In the scale and not in the scale, you play every note on the guitar. Like, how do you figure out how to play every guitar, every note on a guitar or a piano in a song? That's an art in itself. Yeah. Um. So, um, you grew up writing uh, as a teenager, and then, uh, and then now you're here in L.A. How long have you been in L.A.? Um, going on five years. Five years. Cool. And where were you before that? Were you in Maine before that? or? Um, I lived for five years in New York. Oh, that's right. New York City. Yeah. The, the hub of country music. Yeah. yeah it always, ha- yeah. always has been and always will be. Right. Were they, uh, have you ever seen that movie, uh, Rhinestone? I don't think so. Oh my God. You gotta, that's, that's mandatory viewing. If you've never seen the movie Rhinestone, watch the movie Rhinestone. It's like the worst movie uh, come out in like eighty two or whatever. That's it was when I the came best. Out. That's when you came out. Um, well, there you go. Two things that come out in eighty two that are, are questionable. Um, but um, if you have ever seen Rhinestone, it's Dolly Parton who's a doll. You know, it mm-hmm. makes anything great, and it's her and Sylvester Stallone. And the whole point of the movie is Sylvester Stallone is this like ridiculous cab driver, and uh, Dolly to get out of her club contract at the hottest country bar in Manhattan um, she has to like make turn Sylvester Stallone into a country singer in a few weeks or whatever oh wow and it's it's beyond ridiculous that sounds it, fun it is it is like it's draw dropping bad um, when you're watching it there's a thing when I was a kid my my mom god bless her she had the worst taste in everything uh, like she because she, I've like oh, she's watched, not watching. She's she's gone now. Um, oh, I'm sorry, but um, but she watched. Um, she would watch. My mom would just watch Chuck Norris movies all day long, which are good or pretty good. But like some of the bad Chuck Norris movies, where it's just like no story, but we just want to see him roundhouse kick somebody for an hour right. and a half or whatever. That's what he's good uh, at. You can't go wrong with that. But like, um, my mom watched Rhinestone like constantly. He's on TV. That and like nine to five and Bessel Warehouse in Texas, which those are great Dolly Parton movies. But my mom watched Rhinestone, and my mom thought Rhinestone was like uh, Gone with the Wind or whatever. And so, as a kid, I just remember seeing it briefly. But then I watched it as an adult several years ago. So I forgot about it. And I was like, Oh my gosh, this movie is awful. Um, but it's like awful in a bad. It's like you watch it and you're just like, you can't believe this is a movie. Uh, and there are moments. There's a lot of hilarity in it because it's so ridiculous, and Sylvester Stallone is just over the top. So anybody should watch it. And if you follow, um, um, there's a podcast. How did this get made? Mm. Uh, with some some of the comedians from uh, UCB um, have a podcast, and they they rip movies to shred. They they Rhinestone I think is one of their most popular podcasts they've done because one because some people love the movie and everybody loves Dolly Parton. And the way they just rip that movie is hilarious because they're like the hub of country music, Manhattan. You know, like where everyone goes to be a country music star, you go straight to Manhattan. Yep. You know, that's like Broadway. It's, yeah. So it's like uh, you were in New York for a while, uh, but I do know people in New York. Uh, there are I've got several uh, friends in New York that are great country art artists, musicians. So I'm Me sure, too. I'm sure you uh, had had uh, several gigs there and some cool venues and yeah. fan base. Yeah, I did pretty well there. I mean, I ended up just working construction, basically. But um, 
there's this great place called Skinny Dennis now in Williamsburg that I started playing at the last year I was there. And that's just like a country-themed dive bar. Nice. It's really sweet. And they have music seven nights a week. They pay the bands to play all night. You know, it's like you don't find that very often in, no. in the city. So is it, is it kind of like a cowboy palace? It was kind of like you just had music kind of, every yeah. night of the week? Like yeah, the band sets up in the corner. You know, it's small. Yeah. But um, there's a jukebox and a bar and, you know, uh, mm. Willie Nelson pictures and stuff like that. It's great. And so, like, that's where I usually play now in New York. When you when you go back, yeah. Yeah, I'll just bring the band through and play there all night, and people come out and they love it. Cool. I'm gonna remember that. If I'm if I get tours there, I'm gonna hit them up. That sounds like a cool. Yeah. It's not a cool venue. It's really great. Yeah. So then you then you came out here and you're working on stuff. Um, so that's good. Yeah. And I know you you've uh, got you're kind of like me. We're kind of like uh, one of the the few guys that like has a band and just does nothing but like old school traditional type country you know you got that reputation uh, as well yeah I guess so I mean I try not to limit myself you know what I mean but I think my general rule is like I'll only sing songs that that I feel inspired to sing right that I like I only sing songs I like and so right it ends up being uh, a lot of stuff from from the 50s and earlier to up through the 90s, you know, a lot of 80s stuff. Um, there's not really too many songs that I that click with me, you know, that have been that came out recently. That, but like, I have a lot of my own songs that fit in. Mm-hmm. So those are the new ones I do. Yeah, that's kind of that's been my approach to it as well over the years. That's kind of like I was kind of like you, um, you know. Of course, I grew up backstage at the Opry as a kid, but I did not appreciate it. At the time, I was your kid or whatever. Um, or I say not appreciate it, but I didn't. I wasn't aware of what I was around. Yeah. Uh, I, and I also wasn't aware of how much it seeped into my bones until I got older. But you know, when I was a kid, uh, you know, I was like, in that time, I was into like Nirvana and Green Day, and that was like my first foray into like wanting to get a guitar and be cool or whatever. Mm-hmm. But then, um, but then when I was like 15, 16, I had like a girlfriend and. They're like, oh, can you sing a Tim McGraw song or whatever like that? And, and then I was like, oh, sure, I can sing that. And then, then they're like, oh, soon. I'm like, ah, oh, maybe, yeah, maybe, maybe there's something to this country music thing. And, you know, and, and, and the whole big 90s explosion, you know, with uh, Garth and Alan Jackson, all that stuff. So, like, so I got into all that. And so I was, you know, I was like very much into, fell in love with, with, uh, with all that in the 90s. But then as time went on I kind of I went backwards I kind of was like I was like I like this but I like I wanted to know more about it and that's when I kind of like you know uh, studied more and and kind of got in touch with with the roots of what I grew up around and you know I grew up around bluegrass heavily with my dad and stuff and so there's the more I uh, more I you know like 90s countries what got my attention but but that I discovered where my heart really was um, was in um, more, I say, more old school country Bakersfield sound, especially. I love mm-hmm. Buck and, and Merle and that stuff. But I'm kind of that way when I play my band, and that's one reason um, I kind of bill myself not as a country band but as a honky tonk band because I, I like that term a little bit better because it's one, it's because it's a little less tainted. Than, than right now because now country means something different to lots of people because it depends on what they're listening to 
and they might think that Florida Georgia Lions country, and it's like, well, that's not, you know, so it's, but I think when you say honky tonk, it's more specific. It's a little bit more, uh, but like honky tonk incorporates country, blues, rockabilly, bluegrass, uh, mm -hmm. which are kind of like my four legs on my table, and so I'm kind of that way too. Like, we don't, me and my band, we don't play anything that that I don't enjoy playing. Same as you. So we'll do. You know, we'll get like late in the night, and, and I'll look back at my drummer and something, and he'll say, "Let's do some Elvis." I'm like, "Yeah, let's do some Elvis." Or I'll do some Carl Perkins or Buddy Holly, or I'll do some Muddy Waters uh, or something like that. But it all, you know, it's like I'll do stuff that 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 I connect to, yeah. um, and 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 I'll, and, I'll, and I, I was like, "Well, pretty much everything I'm doing is honky tonk. It's pretty much blues, bluegrass, country, rockabilly." Mm -hmm. um, and so, uh, yeah, that's kind of where I fall in. Kind of same as you. You just like. Do what you. That's the thing. That's the thing. Which I'm glad that you do that. And I think it makes. I think that's why people like you so much. Um, and hopefully that's why people like me. But it's like you. You're doing what you what you connect with. What means something to you. I know so many bands. They just they they play whatever they think people want them to play. Right. And it's like. You're the musician. Like, play what you want to play. That's gonna hold a lot more water. Yeah. You know. I mean, like, you know, because uh, because that's what people want. They want. If you're up there playing something, your heart's really not in it. It doesn't matter if it's the new hit song people want to hear. It's like it just it's not gonna come off the same way. It's like go ahead a jukebox for that. It's like, but be be a band that that knows who you are. You know. And that's why I see yeah. like so so many bands, and they'll do like. Something they'll do like, um, you know, I'll see the bands and they'll do like a Bob Wills song or something, and then they'll do a Florida Georgia Line. It's like, who is this band? Like, what, what, what are you as a band? You know, it's like you don't really have a an identity. It's like you're just trying to be everything. Mm -hmm. But in I think with all art, when you try and be everything, you end up being not, you end up bringing nothing to the table. Where you got to be more specific. You know, if like. It's like Bruce Springsteen or Billy Joel or the Foo Fighters or whatever try to like just do something different because a fad's happening. It's like they would just they. It's not gonna. It's not gonna appeal well because they're not being true to their brand. I mean, it really comes down to the brands. Whatever. Mm -hmm. It's like, what's your brand? You know, if you went and seen a Disney movie and it looked a lot more like softcore porn or whatever, you'd be upset because. You'd be like, this is not the Disney brand, <laughs> you know. And if you go, you go see Merle Haggard, and all of a sudden he like rips, starts ripping into like a, you know, a heavy metal. You'd be like, what the hell is this? You know, you'd be like, it's like, be, uh, be true to your brand, whatever your brand is. If it's, if it's being Florida Georgia Line, or if it's being Elijah Ocean or Michael Monroe Goodman, it's like, it's like, be true to your band. That's gonna be more interesting. Yeah, I don't. I don't think it's possible to please everyone. You can't. And so, no. I mean, I like to please the crowd, but um, but I can't really think of it like that. You know, it's like I'd rather just if I can make myself and my band happy, right. people are going to recognize that, and they're not. It doesn't matter what song I play. Then it's like they're just there to see us because right. we're enjoying what we're doing, and it's like right. I think it always it always tends to work out. I always get people that come up to me. They're like, you know, like. Thank you for playing the old stuff. For like, you know, I love coming to see you every time, and yeah, it that happens way more than like 
than your 22-year-old girl being like, you're not playing enough Luke Bryan. Like, yeah. It's like for everyone. It's like, you know, I please more people than I don't, so. Yeah, because I, mean, I think, uh, yeah, you got to be, and that's the thing, if you're, I mean, no offense to Luke Bryan or whatever, it's like, if you're a band playing the newest Luke Bryan song, it's like, well, how do you stand out? Because, like, everybody's doing that. Or, you know, it's like, you know, or, you know, maybe not everybody, but yeah. but it's like, you, you got to be true to, to who you are, and, and, and that and that's going to attract um, the people that are, that are going to be into what you're doing. I always, it, it always mystifies me. I'm sure this happens to you, too. Um, when we're, like, you know, like, two hours into our show or whatever, and we're playing my songs, we're playing... We're playing Waylon, we're playing Buck Owens, we're playing Dwight Yoakam like that, and then someone comes up and is like, can you do this Florida Georgia Line song, or can you do, it's like, have you been listening <laughs> to what's going on? It's like, it's like, I mean, just the, I mean, it'd be like if you went and seen a reggae band, you'd be like, hey, do y'all know, uh, hey, do you know any uh, Bob Dylan? And like, what the, you know, or, you know, like, if you go see like Gwen Stefani and you go, hey, are you going to play anything from the birds? Like. What have you listening to? What's going on? It's like you yeah. know, you're not gonna go to Metallica show and be like, I was really disappointed because they didn't do any Carpenters tunes, you know, like what, you know, like yeah. it's like it, it it's it's hilarious, you know, um, people do that, but I mean, but that's that's what that's people want people want to come out and they people are gonna get crazy requests or whatever. Oh yeah, it's tough to deal with the crowd sometimes. Yeah, but you just gotta make the best out yeah. of it, you know. I I uh, I just got real good at lying. Uh, so people come up and say, "You do wagon?" I was like, "I don't know it." Uh, and it's like, "No, I did. I did know it. I knew it years ago when it was Old Crow." And then when when uh, uh, Darius got hold of, it, I was like, "I'm not doing this no more." You know, Bob Dylan actually wrote that chorus. I know. It's like, yeah, it is derived from uh, something he created, and then what Old Crow like tweaked it or whatever, right? Yeah. Um... He did. A, he was in a movie in the seventies uh, with Chris Christopherson. It was a. Uh, it was a. It was a western movie. I, I can't remember the title of it right now. But he did the soundtrack as well. Yeah. Like, uh, "Knocking on Heaven's Door" was originally part of that soundtrack, but this. I think the chorus for that song, came from, a, a, like a demo for that soundtrack, hmm. and like somehow, yeah. yeah, Old Crow Medicine Show got a hold of it, yeah. and wrote all the verses. Yeah, and then started <clears throat> playing it out, and it got really popular. It caught and on, yeah. Eventually, um, Dylan got his cut yeah, of the songwriting royalties. He's like, I think he had to go to court to do it. Did he really? I believe so. Yeah. Huh. That's odd. You would have thought uh, Old Crow gave him credit right off the bat, or so, or or maybe it was I don't know. <clears throat> I'm not sure how it really worked out. Maybe, yeah. Maybe but, it was a partial credit or whatever his partial thing. Yeah. So he made probably some good royalties off that. Yeah. Well, I was kind of like I uh, I used to I used to do that song years ago. Um, and my camera's get this one quit on me. Um, I used to do that song years ago when it was an old crow song or yeah. whatever, when no one knew it. Yeah. And I'd do it, and and like little clubs I played back in Kentucky or whatever, people like fell in love with that song, even though it was not at all mainstream. No one knew it, but it was like this like underground kind of thing that people loved. And then when it then when Darius did it, it became real mainstream. Or whatever, which is fine. It's good for 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 them. Okra, I'm sure Okra's happy with the money mm-hmm. uh, they're making off that, and that's fine. But then it's like my my thought of it is like this: like, well, uh, somebody comes up, well, Michael, do you not think Wagon Wheel is a good song? It's like, I think Wagon Wheel is a good song. Um, uh, maybe do I like somebody's version better than the other? Yeah, true. 
Um, like, I was like, oh, do you think Chicken Fries? I was like, I don't think Chicken Fries is a bad song. But it's like, for me, it's like, those songs are done to death, so why would I do them? There's a lot of other songs out there. That's what I'm saying. It's like, you're going to hear those songs done to death with every other band. So it's me like, uh, that's why I'm just not going to do them. Uh, uh, well, for other reasons as well. But like, the reason I'm not going to gravitate, and, and I try and do that too with even stuff that fits in my wheelhouse. With like, I'm, I don't tr- you know, I try and not do the stuff that's overdone, uh, you know. Yeah. Uh, you you kind of sometimes do just because... Uh, yeah, because they're great songs or whatever like that. But it's like, but I try, I try my best, and you probably do too. Is like try and find great songs that people are gonna go, oh man, I forgot how much I love that song, as opposed to playing the same thirty five, forty songs every night. You know, just playing. We're just gonna play the 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 three Cash songs everyone knows. We're gonna play the three George Strait song everyone knows. Like no, hits. You know, hit some not even deeper cuts. You can go play George Strait songs for for days without ever hitting a B side. Yeah, because yeah, you just got so many hits. But like, I think that's the the thing. It's like um, for me, it's like it's like well, I want to be unique in a way. And one, I want to have my band have the sound that we have too. And it's like I want to try and stay away from cliched things. It's fine for other people, um, but I will say too, like. For any bands out there, especially if they're just a cover band and they're a hobby band, or whatever, then yeah, okay, just do whatever you got to do to get sure. that. But if you're wanting to be an artist and you say I want to do my own songs or want to be my own star or whatever, it's like know what your brand is and yeah. stay true to that. And it's not always going to be easy because there are going to be some venues that don't want you because you don't play enough of this or enough of that, uh, mm-hmm. you know. Or you're gonna you're gonna there're gonna be some crowds that are harder to win over. But it's like, but if you're true to yourself, it's gonna, it's gonna pay off. One, you're, one, you're, you're gonna be um, something that that no one else is. But if you're just trying to follow a trend, you're always gonna be, you're always gonna be a step behind the trend. But if you're making the trend, you're always gonna be a step ahead. Mm-hmm. You know that kind of thing. Um, I'm always trying to learn songs I don't know too, because it's just like keeps things interesting and right. <clears throat> it just like t- always teaches me something about. The genre, you know, like I've been le- trying to learn a bunch of Keith Whitley songs, and like I'll sing along with him over and over again on the on the record player, and it's just like trying to match his vocal inflections and stuff like that, and it's just like I learn something about singing every single time I do it, you know, and it's uh it could be very uh, educational, and then it's fun because then you can do. You can do all those songs live, and, uh, right. and people are like, "Oh yeah, forgot about that one." Yeah, that we were. Uh, let's, I'm glad you mentioned that. That's something we want to talk about on this was um, our love for Keith Whitley. Mm. I think is, and a lot of people say this, like maybe the maybe the best country vocalist that that ever was. I mean, it's hard to really say that. It's not a contest, but no doubt one of the most richest, most amazing country voices. That ever was, yeah, uh, and gone too soon. You know, like you said, died in '89 mm-hmm. from uh, alcohol poisoning or drinking yeah, too drink damn much alcohol, to yeah, and dying. Um, but that's, um, yeah. Uh, so yeah, let's talk about Keith Whitley. Let's talk about. Yeah, um, he was. I think he didn't even really like 
believe that his voice was as great as it was. Like, he was very humble, honestly. And, um, you know, I think he was still trying to find his voice when he died. And he, I can listen throughout the 80s and, like, some of the bluegrass stuff that he did earlier with Ricky Skaggs, um, just how far his voice really came up until the point he died. It's amazing to yeah. hear, hear the growth. But I think he was next in line in that in that style of, say, like, Jimmy Rogers, Lefty Frizzell, Merle Haggard, Keith Whitley. It's like yeah. that kind of style. I think he he ended up covering a bunch of Lefty Frizzell songs, and he was very into that. Um, the way that uh, Lefty Frizzell sang with just like a lot of um, extra notes in there and holding yeah. out notes, <clears throat> and um, yeah, that real honky tonk vibe, which not a lot of people were doing at that time in exactly. the eighties. Yeah, his uh, I Never Go Around Mirrors, which was right. a lefty song. It's like, man, that's uh, such a great uh, rendition of that song. Yeah. I get so many requests for that song. And I mean, I learned Whitley's version before I'd heard Frizzell's version. And I mean, I, I probably like it better than, than as much as I love Frizzell. I, <clears throat> man, I think Whitley's version of Never Go Around Mirrors is is just amazing. And he turns it into a much more serious song. Yeah. It's like way sadder when you hear yeah, it. Yeah, you could feel really the pain in it, which was probably resonating through him, through his depression and, and uh, drinking troubles or I whatever. So. That's something, with, with somebody like him, it's like, you can, a lot of times when these artists are going through something, you hear it in their music. I mean, you listen, you hear, you hear it in Johnny's vo Johnny Cash's voice in the, early 60s and mid 60s you know and stuff you, you hear the pain of stuff he was dealing with and you know you like you hear it in Keith Whitley's voice mm -hmm. knowing he was battling depression and drinking too much and um, it's just amazing I, th I think Whitley for me I feel like Whit Whitley had the soul of George Jones and the tone and timber of like Conway Twitty he's like mm -hmm. had like he had that soulful countryness of like George Jones. He had like a such rich, smooth vibrato of mm -hmm. like a, of like a Waylon or a Conway Twitty or something like that. It's yeah. just like best tone. Yeah, just oh, um, I I love anytime I can do like Keith Whitley tunes. I'm I'm all for it. Um, I love um, No Stranger to the Rain. Yep, it's one of my favorite ones to do. It's a great one. Um, uh, Miami, Miami. Yeah, man, that's a oh, what a what a great tune that is. Uh huh. And so yeah, he. Um, I guess most people don't know that he got his start with J.D. Crow and the New South. Right. And of course, it's J.D. Crow, the bluegrass legend, banjo picker. And uh, what what year was that? Like early seventies or something like that? When <clears throat> when uh, Keith and Ricky Skaggs both joined. J.D. Uh, Crow at the same time. That's right. And like, what a powerhouse to have two future legends uh, yeah. in your band. Yeah. Um, Ricky Skaggs and Keith Whitley met as teenagers, and they started singing together immediately for the with their love of bluegrass. You yeah. Know? And, um, yeah, I'm not sure what year it was, but um, there's recordings of them. Uh, it's like a record of them just doing bluegrass songs just the two of them yeah I think I've heard that it's great it's just amazing um, Ricky Skaggs wrote the liner notes for Keith Whitley's first EP that came out did he? Cause, yeah, yeah it's great I have that on vinyl and like um, it's really cool to just see what Ricky was thinking about uh, 
Uh, oh, I'd love to read Buddy that. Keith. Yeah, I'll show it to you at some point. I'd love to read that. Yeah. Um, yeah, but so yeah, then Keith Whitley started getting more into like traditional country mm-hmm. as opposed to bluegrass and, you know, got picked up in Nashville and um, down he went that rabbit hole, you know? Yeah, it, it seemed like from my youth, I felt like Keith Whitley had been around a long time. I think in actuality, his his solo career was very short because, you know, because he did die so young. It was about uh, so early. Five, five or six years, I think. Um, yeah, that's such a short uh, career. He did an EP and then two full-length records, and then he died. And then, yeah. then a record came out that he had recorded right before he died. And I think some other stuff started to come out a little bit uh, after he died that he hadn't released, but it's a great body of work. Yeah, I mean, I'd be, uh, I'd be uh, tickled to death to have that legacy in such a short amount of time as anyone. I would love to see uh, what he would, would be doing right now. You know? I know, right? It would be. It's always that way with the great ones that that, that die too soon. You wonder, um, what what would where would they be? What would they be doing if they had they still been around? Uh, but then also, like, wonder is like, would they be if they were still around? Would they be taken for granted? You know, it's like because it's, it's always that thing. Like sometimes when people die in their prime, it's like it's like people remember them going out mm-hmm. on top. And then plus two, there's just that human reaction to like mourn and cherish someone because they died so young. And it makes me wonder. It's like if if Whitley was still around today, would he be just another? Uh, um, would he, would he be like a? Well, I think you'd put him in like in the realms of like Randy Travis or somebody like that, who's yeah. this, who's this iconic great singer, but not selling out stadiums. Sadly, not like George Strait. Not like yeah, George. <clears throat> I mean, George Strait just stayed the course the whole time. I, I saw something online today about right at the top of the country charts right now today. It's George Strait, Reba McIntyre, and Brooks and Dunn. That's what what is it? Nine, what is it? What year is it? What year is it right now? What's going on? It's nineteen ninety two. Is it ninety two over again? All right. Well that's great. I mean that's uh, that's the way it should be. Um I think I, I I would definitely believe that. Uh I mean obviously it's true. But I think there's so much to be said about that. Like people are gonna actually buy a George Strait album. Mm-hmm. That's a thing. That's like, you know, uh there there are like certain people that sight unseen I'm gonna bother bother. Ugh, by their album and yeah. it's because if you're a George Strait um, you're, you've developed a reputation you know over years you, you, you've built trust like hey I'm going to be George Strait in 81 the same way I'm going to be in 2019 I'm going to be George Strait mm-hmm. no matter when you look at me or listen to me your first George Strait album last George Strait album you're going to go yeah, that's the same artist. Um, you're like, oh yeah, it's just, oh, he's a little bit older, or you know, uh, whatever. But like, you're, you're, you have that common thread. I mean, granted, things, little things change. You can see nuances in his in his different albums, obviously, but there's still yeah. that common thread. And he's developed a body of work that people trust. It's just like, oh, George Trey has a new album. I'll buy that because I know what he does it's going to be it's going to be good I'm going to have a, a couple favorite songs off the album but I'm going to be able to listen to the whole album and enjoy it because that's what George Strait does 
Yeah. You know. I listen to George Strait all the time. I've got his 80s records on vinyl, his 90s CDs in the van. Yeah. And then I can listen to Honky Tonk Time Machine on, that's a, yeah. on my phone. On your phone. Yeah, that's a great... I listened <laughs> all the way through that album the other day and, and picked out my favorites um, on the album. And I looked and I didn't... Uh, I noticed like his son, Bubba Strait, I think wrote like eight of the songs yeah. that are on the album. And there's like a Jim Lauderdale tune and somebody else on it. But like, right. it seems like George... I, I wonder if, if, this, if George did this album because uh, Bubba had put together an album and George was like, yeah, I, I, should, I should make this album because yeah, Bubba's maybe. wrote these songs and it gave him a reason to, to do a new album uh, post-retirement. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I mean, I think retirement means a totally different. People are in retirement and then they're doing 80 shows in Vegas. I was like, well, that doesn't seem like... It's semi-retirement. It's semi-retirement. <laughs> I guess it's... Road bus retirement. Like I'm not riding a bus touring playing fairs anymore. Retirement. Yeah. I'm only gonna do sold out shows in Vegas or something like that. Which, as he should do. If I was George Strait, that's what I would do. I've got the career he has. I'm just like I'm just gonna be in Vegas for like three weeks out of the year. If you want to see me? Come there. Sure. And then I'm gonna be home with my family the rest of the time. Like Pay hell yeah, she can do it. Yep. Hell yeah. And and he's and he's earned it. And he's good enough. That you should be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, wouldn't it be so great if? Wouldn't it have been so great if, like George Jones and, you know, uh, uh, Waylon and um, and guys like that could still be, you know, toward the end of their career, had been able to just do that. When you think, you know, like I know George Jones was out still touring till he died just mm-hmm. playing like small 500 600 seat venues two or three nights a week you know where like man shouldn't people sell out a 4000 seat Vegas showroom for you know several weeks out of the year for George I was like yeah they should you'd think you'd think but a legend yeah you know but uh, uh, and, it, and then it's great that it's great that people are Appreciating George Strait uh, while he's here, because one day he won't be here, and mm-hmm. you know, and uh, and he'll be gone or whatever, um, as as they all do. Um, yeah, I learned. I taught myself how to be a country singer because of George Strait. That's what, uh, because up until then I'd sung in church and I was sing gospel, and I did musical you know, classical singing or whatever in, in school and stuff. But when I fell in love with country music, for one, it was George Strait was my first love, uh, and Pure Country was my Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, that movie, I was just like, oh, that's me. That's that's what I want to be. And, um, you know, so I, like, taught myself how to be a country singer by listening to George Strait. So for a lot of my early years, I'd be like, oh, you sound like George Strait. I was like, well, that's who I'm trying to be, basically, yeah. you know, like... Which is a good role model to have. I think a lot of artists do that too. They, you know, we were talking about Springsteen earlier. Like, I think he was, he found his voice through the help of Bob Dylan. You know, really? I think he was trying to like write songs like Dylan. They would always cover Bob Dylan songs. And um, yeah, I think that's what artists do. They kind of like discover their own voice through the right. help of these other guys. Through, yeah, it's like you're picking up, it's like you're picking up the torch and going. Uh, a slightly different direction you know you like yeah. you follow your heroes 
And then you're like, oh, the path's going to go this way now. Well, I'm going to be the one to carry that. I'm going to find my find my path, uh, you know, uh, by branching off of where the, the people I admire have already went or whatever, which makes sense. I uh, read an interview with Merle Haggard recently from the 90s, and he was talking about how he found his voice in... Uh, it was basically like when when he wrote like the bottle let me down and stuff like that. He said he was just trying to sound like Buck Owens and hmm. and Lefty Frizzell at the same time. And he's like, when I listen back to that now, all I can hear is me trying to sound like <laughs> Buck Owens and Lefty Frizzell. And it wasn't until a few years later where he he said that he actually found out who Merle Haggard was and what he sounded like. Mm-hmm. You know, and found um, his voice. Yeah, with the help of those guys. Yeah, I can attest to that as well. I've definitely. I'm sure you can say the same, same thing. It's still is I'm still, you know, like, <laughs> kind of like with each album I put out, I'm kind of like finding more, uh, or, or as with more and more songs I write, I'm kind of like figuring, I was like, oh, these are my influences. And it's like, okay, what, what, what about this is me? You know, what, what can I do? Or what, what feels natural? And I think that's what, like, most, whatever genre or whatever artist, it's like you, you get a bunch of heroes who you wish you were, whatever and then you like learn from them as much you can Mm -hmm. and then let that absorb in and then like okay now instinctively what do I want to do because then that seeps out uh, through your instincts and so it's it's derived from a bunch of influences but it's still a organic choice that comes from you that's original Mm -hmm. and so it's going to be it's going to be organic it's going to be true because it's genuinely coming from you and you're not trying to copycat or chase a fad you know, you're actually doing something like that so I think that's what all art and it makes sense that's, I think it's what all artists do is, I think so is uh, they, they find their their influences and then they figure out what that means to them and who they are or how that identifies with them yeah well great so yeah well we've talked long enough let's uh, let's, yep. let's uh, play a few songs we should um, play one of your songs okay and uh, I'll play uh, I'll play one of my songs uh, that, that kind of inspired by this talk, and then uh, and then for a bonus thing, not on the podcast, I think me and you should uh, record a uh, Keith Whitley song. Okay. To put out there. All right. Yeah, man. Let's do that. Cool. So what are you gonna what are you gonna what song are you gonna do for us? Um, I was thinking about what playing playing a newer song that um, that I just recorded that's not yeah. out yet. If that's okay. I'd love to hear it. Of course we would, yeah. What's it called? It's called In a Perfect World. In a Perfect World. My wife really likes this one. All right. Well, then it's got to be good. If she the, knows. If the woman approves, <laughs> then it's all good. Yep. All right. Cool, man. Can't wait to hear it. All right. There's rain and cat. Check is in the mailbox 
strange perfume that you wear now and then in a perfect world you're still my girl but that ain't the one we're in in a perfect world your clothes would still be folded in their drawer and you give me a goodbye kiss when you walked out that door. I won't see you at the grocery store holding hands with your new friend. In a perfect world, you're still my girl, but that ain't the one we're in. In a perfect world, you're still my <laughs> Hell yeah. Thank you. Yeah, that's great. You just wrote that recently? Yeah, just a few months mm. ago. Nice. Nice. What, uh, did it just come to you out of nowhere, or something inspired it? Well, it was raining. Yeah. So that's where I got the first line. That's where you got the first line, yeah? Yeah. Nice. Um, yeah, it's, it's uh, you know, just about um, <clears throat> just a, a guy uh, suspecting his girl of cheating on him and kind right. of like being in denial about that um, which probably happens every day been but. there <laughs> guilty as charged but I've made enough of those mistakes oh, yeah yeah uh, yeah we've seen it all but um but yeah it's uh it's not really something that I'm going through personally no obviously not but I'm um, happily married yeah uh, yeah just just my imagination I guess right that's always uh it's always funny I'm sure you get this too. It's like people, if you write a song, they think like, "Oh man, that that, that true?" You know, it's like it's yeah. like it's like no, like well then how'd you write it? You know, it's like <laughs> well I don't know how does how does Al Pacino uh, you know do what he does without actually killing people? Like because he's, he's an actor and yeah. you know writer. It's like you'd be inspired, but yeah, I mean, um, yeah, because sometimes you just you put yourself in, emotionally in a place that maybe you're not in, but maybe you've been there before. Or it's just your imagination running wild, or whatever, and you, you think, think of that stuff like that. But it's always, it's always uh, funny because I, I don't know about you, but when I, um, in the past, I've had like girlfriends or whatever, and they're like, "Who'd write that song about?" You right. know, and I'm like, "Oh well, no one." Like, yeah, right. You know, <laughs> like that. I don't want to yeah. hear you play that song because I know it's about some girl you used to date or whatever. It's like, oh my gosh, like quit it's not quite as simple as that i uh, know yeah it's like, yeah you know yeah that, like i always pull from different experiences stuff i see on tv stuff i mm-hmm. i read about you know stuff that i have no idea where it came from right dreams like and you kind of just piece it together yeah i think that's what all all uh, mo- most songwriters do i mean there are those songwriters out there that just only know how to write from their own point of view or and maybe whatever but I think most mo- most songwriters, seasoned songwriters, are you're able to pull information or, or inspiration from anywhere. I mean, I, obviously, when I was when I was younger, it was well. Granted, I'd, I'd get like weird uh, just tunes in my head or lyrics in my head that I didn't know where they come from. Mm-hmm. And uh, but then but then I uh, a lot of stuff I wrote when I was early teenager was just all my pain of 
my first love uh, breaking my heart. So I was sat in my room sure. for like a year and a half and was depressed and just wrote, wrote, wrote a lot of really not that great songs, just like trying to like get better songwriting and get out all the pain or whatever. But yeah, as a uh, especially for me, um, since I when I went back when I moved to Chicago and started doing uh, uh, and went went to acting school and started doing acting and stuff like that and doing improv, I like learned of like oh. I can just tap into an emotion or an idea or I can improvise something and stumble across some idea and then just put myself emotionally where that song is and, and write the rest of the song from that point of view mm-hmm. in something that I manu- you know, imagined or made up or whatever, which I think is the beauty of, of, uh, of, of art in that way. Oh, great. I love that song. Thanks, man. Look forward to hearing it again. I'll do, um, since we're doing like love songs, well, that was like a sad, that was like a sad song. I'll do, I'll, I'll flip it and we'll do, a, I'll do a newer one of mine that I haven't recorded yet. Uh, that's like a happy, uh, good ending, whatever, um, love song called uh, Back of My Heart. Cool. <clears throat> Let's see if I get all the verses right. Take you out on a Saturday night And dance beneath the pale moonlight I want to take you home to meet mom and dad So they can see just how lucky I am I want to trust in you with everything I'll save my money and buy a ring I'll find a spot just you and me And then I'll get down on one knee I want to feel your love in the back of my heart And mend the pieces that broke apart I want to feel it up till it overflows and follow it wherever it goes I want to drive you home with our baby boy Watch him roll around and play with toys He'll grow up fast and he'll move away He'll find a wife like you Take a bow, it'll never end. Wake up each morning, do it again. I want to lay with you when you're old and gray, and next to you in a cold, dark grave. I want to feel your love in the back of my heart, and mend the pieces that broke apart. Wanna feel it up till it overflows And follow it wherever it goes I wanna feel your love in the back of my heart And mend the pieces that broke apart I wanna feel it up till it overflows And follow it wherever it goes Feel your love in the back of my heart. Nice.
Nice, that's, man. That's a new one around here. It's pretty. Thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> yeah, I like yeah. the sentiment. Flam and all. All right. Okay. <laughs> so now, now we're going to do a song, not for the podcast, but we'll do it as a YouTube video to promote the podcast. Since we, let's do a Keith Whitley tune. <laughs> 